This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. When the NBC sitcom Grand Crew premiered last year, it was well-received, despite getting overshadowed by the phenomenon that was Abbott Elementary, but word-of-mouth built steadily over the course of its first season. It has a dependable sitcom setup. Six friends hang out together to decompress and commiserate about their careers and their love lives. They're black, their hangout is a Silver Lake wine bar, and the show, like the vino they're always guzzling, has gotten better with age. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Grand Crew on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. From your car radio to your smart speaker, NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Joining us today is Ronald Young Jr. He is the host of the film and television review podcast, Leaving the Theater. Hey, Ronald. Hello, Glenn. Also joining us today is Kristen Meinzer. She co-hosts the podcast Movie Therapy with Rafer and Kristen on also How to Be Fine. Hey, Kristen, you fine? I am fine, and I'm excited to be here today. Thanks for having me back. Oh, great to have you. So Grand Crew is a classic hangout show that stars Nicole Byer as Nikki, a hardworking real estate agent. Her hopelessly romantic brother Noah is played by Echo Kellum. There's Anthony, played by Aaron Jennings. He's a buttoned-up accountant who lives for his spreadsheets. His roommate Sherm is a boisterous, if chronically unemployed, master of the side hustle. He's played by Carl Tart. Justin Cunningham plays Wyatt. He is happily married and loves listening to the lamentations of his single friends. And then there's Faye, played by Gracie Mercedes. She's a server at Crew, the wine bar they frequent, and also a newly divorced out-of-towner who's recently joined this friend group of L.A. natives. The show was created by Phil Augusta Jackson, who worked on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Insecure. The second season is airing now on NBC. You can also stream it on Peacock. Ronald, let me start with you. How are you liking Grand Crew? I love this show. I love this show. I'm so glad it exists. I am a person that was a huge fan of the show Happy Endings and also Cougar Town. Both of those shows really enjoy the zaniness of friend groups kind of interacting with one another. And that energy is kind of depicted here, but it's an all-black cast, which I really, really enjoy because I think we haven't had something like this, especially in a sitcom format since Living Single, where you just get a bunch of friends laughing and having a good time together in these random situations. Now, they do talk about serious subjects from time to time, Mm -hmm. and I think in the sitcom format, sometimes you don't get the opportunity to truly unpack things like, why don't black people go to therapy, or are exhaustion with the news cycle? There's not really a deep dive into a lot of that, but I feel like there's plenty of other shows that deal with those issues in a lot more meaningful ways, so I don't necessarily think Grand Crew has to shoulder that burden, but Mm -hmm. I will say I just enjoy being able to turn on the show and see black people experiencing joy together and laughing all the time and also to have like two prominent members of the cast be fat basically you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the stories are not about them being fat and not straight 
bite-sized. I really, really enjoy that. Overall, it's a big home run for me. I really enjoy it. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, you said the magic words, happy endings, which also crops up in my notes. Kristen, what'd you think? Well, he also just said the magic words, Living Single, which was a show that I was a huge fan of back in the day. And one thing I really like about this show that that show also has is that it really feels like it's taking place in L.A. It feels like Mm -hmm. Silver Lake. It doesn't feel like Friends where it's like, this is clearly in L.A. and you're pretending it's in New York. Another thing I really like about it is that everybody is well into their 30s, if not their 40s, and only one of them is married. And this is reflective of the world that I run in. The idea that the default is everybody's married by 32 and has kids already, or if you're in your 30s, your main fixation is your family. But for them, this is their fixation is the family that they chose. It's their friends. It's just so fun to see people with their chosen family and each of them being totally unique and not necessarily characters we've been able to see on other network shows. You know, we have Noah, who's the hopeless romantic. We don't get to see black men play hopeless romantics very often. (laughs) And it's just beautiful to see that. It's fantastic to see Nicole Byer as Nikki, who is hugely successful as a real estate agent. And she's so funny and she's fat and has so much sex. She has Uh so (laughs) much going on in her life that uh, is not about her size. I have so much fun with these characters and I want to spend time with them. And I do like that they do touch on social issues, as Ronald was saying. But I don't think they need to go deep on it either. I, I think that the way they acknowledge what social issues are going on it kind of makes sense for the universe that they're in, and it wouldn't make sense in this universe for them to do a very special episode and go deep on things. And they know how to make levity out of what needs to be made levity out of and to laugh at things that need to be laughed at. But I think they're very respectful of all the subjects that they dive into. And I just always have a good time when I watch this show. Yeah, I think that's the key. It it strikes a really interesting balance. Uh, Aisha, what do you think? I'm so glad this show got a second season because – In the last year, we've seen a lot of shows just get unceremoniously canceled. Southside, hello. (laughs) And this show definitely flew under the radar in the same way that Southside did, where it was like, I was watching it from the beginning, but I feel like so many people who I knew would like this show just hadn't found it yet. And as you mentioned, Glenn, it did premiere kind of in the shadow of Abbott Elementary. And I think it has less to do with these being two Black shows on network TV than just like... Out Elementary clearly kind of like took all of the energy that we had and excitement for yeah. network TV, and that's what we ran with. And love Abbott Elementary, but I love that, like Ron said, we have this show where it's just like a bunch of black 30-something, early 40-somethings having fun. One of the things that I really, really appreciate is that the way the show deals with not just heavier topics occasionally, like police shootings or um, therapy, but also just like these ideas around environmentalism. Anthony is a vegan, and there's a whole plot line in the season one episode where he's dating a girl whose father is a barbecue, like a grill master. Like, that's his thing. (laughs) And like the conundrum that they face and and him having having to deal with meeting her dad and then like trying to explain why he's vegan. And then you have like this older black man who's just like, I don't get it. Okay. How about some water? Can you drink some water? Oh no. Animals swim in it. Hell, this country's going right down the tubes. Your generation is taking things right down the tubes, child. It feels so real. And it's such a specific topic that not everyone has to deal with, but I think a lot of people today have to deal with it. It feels like a very millennial topic. And I just love how it does these things in unique ways. And I also just think 
as early as the second or third episode, these characters and these actors already felt like they performed well together and knew each other. There wasn't really any gelling that needed to happen. Like out the gate, I was convinced, yes, this is their crew. This is how they hang out. And that's hard to do with a sitcom comedy. Often it takes a little while. It takes some time to gel into it. Think of something like Parks and Rec. And this out the gate for me just works really well from the beginning. Okay. Not out the gate for me. I think it took for me a while to find its footing to carve out a specific piece of real estate. I mean, I thought the first few episodes were fine, B plus, B minus, but I could always tell it had that greater potential. I mean, people have asked the creator of the show, you know, uh, how do you feel about it being called Black Friends or Insecure for Black Men? First of all, those two things seem radically different vibes. I would never <laughs> yeah. put those two things in the same sentence. But I, I don't get Friends vibes from this show at all. I don't get yeah. Insecure either. I do uh, not get Friends vibe. But again, as we've said... I do get happy endings, and that's Mm -hmm. why I now realize I caught myself at one point leaning into the screen in the first few episodes going, faster, 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 because (laughs) step up the pace, but also scale back the energy, because I think early on they had kind of multi-camera energy. They were trying to land every joke. Don't blame them, but in single cam, that leaves dead air, and you can't do that. Happy endings, other shows that are single cam, work when you don't lean in, when you toss off those jokes and you do not look back. It can't feel effortful, right? It's got to seem breezy. And to be fair, I think that Sherm, a character played by Carl Tart, I think he had the vibe from the jump. Yes. Maybe it's just that he's my favorite character, but yes. everybody needed to get on his wavelength. I think that's when, because he's the Adam Pally of the show, if we are unfairly comparing this to Happy Endings. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a favorite character? Because Sherm is my guy. Sherm is definitely my favorite character too. And I hate to keep bringing up that he is fat, but it's like, I've not <laughs> seen a character like this on television where it's like, it's not about his weight. He's out here. He's confident. There's actually a scene of him in the gym working out, and it never comes up that he's trying to lose weight or any of that. He's just like, I just be in the gym. And it becomes about something else that's entirely funny. There's the whole gag that I'm sure we all like where he walks into the wine bar and wearing an all-white outfit (laughs) and something really stupid and crazy happens. And I think that's one of the things I enjoy about this show is that there's so many funny parts, but there's so many flat-out stupid parts that make me laugh out loud. (laughs) And I feel like you don't really get to that balance. Sometimes you get shows that are just entirely stupid or shows that Uh entirely just highbrow humor, and this one's definitely mixing both. And I think Sherm is my favorite character, but if I had to pick a 1B, it's obviously Nicole Byers' Nikki. Mm-hmm. We've seen the plus-size woman character in shows be overly sexual, and mm-hmm. that is not what is happening here. Here's a woman who is, like, in charge of her sexuality, who, like, is very confident in who she is, and, like, is treated like nearly everyone else who is in the dating world, where it's just out there having a good time. Typically, in this show, if you need a punchline, one of those two characters is going to be involved. So those are my two favorites. You know, for me, it's a tie between Nikki and Noah, the siblings, and mm. I think part of that is because I think they're really well-developed. There's something really special about each of those characters letting the other also be who they are, each of them cheering their sibling on for who they are, rather than just ridiculing them. I mean, they do make fun of each other, obviously, but more than anything, there's love there between them. And I I think it's just really beautiful to see that and just funny. It's a very funny show, and especially those two to me. I'm going to overlap with you both and say Noah and Sherm are my my favorite. I think for me, what I love about Noah... is that there's an episode we've kind of alluded to already about Wyatt is trying to convince Noah that he needs to go to therapy. And there's a moment in that episode where Noah says something along the lines of like, I've always considered myself emotional, so I didn't think I needed to go to therapy. Because like, he's that guy who thinks that he's different. He's looking for wifey. He's looking for that thing. He's obsessed with it to the point of being 
not good for him. But he he doesn't realize that like he has so many other things he needs to process in order to actually be ready for a relationship. So I really loved that moment. And then I also just love how the jokes here are are never mean-spirited. There's a lot of playing the dozens in a way that I think is fun to watch, especially in season two. There's like a whole scene where there's a running gag. One characters are commenting on Noah's look, like what he looks like, and they're <laughs> comparing him to different foods. And it's like, yeah, you know what? He kind of does look like a broccoli because he's like really tall and lanky and his hair is huge. It's just really fun. And his facial expressions to me are just kind of amazing. I just love everything he does with with his face. So yeah, Noah and Sherm definitely together also like love them. I think that as they were stepping up the pace of the jokes on this show, they were also increasingly willing as the season progressed to go niche. So at the beginning, every joke was kind of telegraphed and underlined and clear to everyone. Four quadrant jokes, right? And that will endear you to many people. The goal, I think, is to be indispensable, to create a kind of connection with a fewer number of people. But with the second season, I think that confidence is growing. They can toss out a joke like, even T.D. Jakes has a wine now. Yes. (laughs) I've been dabbling in a little wine making, and I finally finished my first batch. So I'd like to present to you Jones and Sons Peach Wine. Established 1776. I don't know. The wine and spirits market is really crowded. Even T.D. Jakes has a wine now. (laughs) (laughs) Now, does this pasty-ass atheist have any idea who the hell T.D. Jakes is? I did not. But you know what? Doesn't matter. I got a phone, right? So if I'm one Google search unit of time worth behind the joke... So be it. I'm happy to work a little harder. That's me. As a middle-aged white man, I love it when I sense that a joke isn't expressly for me because it usually means it's very much for somebody else. So I'm I'm here. Bring it on. Did you guys feel that? Do you guys know what I'm saying here? Not only that, I think there's a reference in which Sherm is uh, working <laughs> on yet another one of his many side hustles. And he points out that he is a church deacon and puts on some gospel music and starts playing We Fall Down by Donnie McClurkin, which is not necessarily a deep cut, but every <laughs> black church person I know, when that cut comes on, we're all going to be like, of course it's We Fall Down. Of course he plays the most obvious, you know, black gospel churchy song of all that. I'm like, I think the only other thing he could have played was something by Kirk Franklin from the 90s, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was very, that very specific reference where you're right, like everyone recognizes that as a gospel song, but there's going to be a certain amount of people that recognize this gospel song as the right. one he plays being the catch-all for everyone. So this show does that very, very well. My favorite part of this show is when the joke steer into the highly specific real estate. So that's the intersection of blackness, to which Contain Your Shock, as mentioned, I am an outsider. (laughs) The intersection of blackness and bougie, snobby, functionally alcoholic wine overconsumption, Mm -hmm. to which I am not only the president, but I'm also a client. So that's the sweet spot, right? So there was a moment uh, at the end of season one, the orange wine cold open. This is the moment when the show was going, Here's what we're going to do that no other show will do. We're going to occupy our own private Idaho. And it's just them all sitting in the bar trying orange wine for the first time. Orange wines hit the palate different. They can get pretty funky. Okay, cool. Let's see. (laughs) Uh, That was funky. To me, is this show, right? Yes. That's what this show is about. That's how yes. the show got sold. Like, that's the elevator pitch. It's not six black friends. It's six black friends in a wine bar. And that's exactly it. And, you know, each of them gets to add something and build something. I love that scene. Yeah, that's a great scene. And I think we have 
gotten to the point now where while this all feels in a way revolutionary, it's not surprising because mm-hmm. we've been lucky enough to have all of these other shows in pop culture over the last like 15, 20 years show that like black people can and have loved many things and are multitudes of things. You know, Insecure, obviously, Phil Augusta Jackson is an alumna of that show. And even though it's not really the same show, there is like a similar sensibility. And I feel as though that show kind of paved the way for this in a way because we saw Black people having wind downs and doing quote unquote bougie things. But like, I think it's become such a part of the culture now and there's no real hang up about it. And I just also appreciate that this show wants to encourage showing Black men especially caring about each other and loving each other and being very open about their love and appreciation for each other. And I think to me that is something that other shows have not necessarily been able to tap into or haven't tapped into in a way. It's subtle. It's not beating you over the head with it, but it is something you notice because you rarely see that kind of camaraderie that's not also like built off of like misogyny or other gross things. Like this show is just like so much joy. Yeah. I think one thing that I noticed is that, and someone described this to me years ago where they said one of the first times that they saw black men on television and not looking cool, but being more of a Daffy Duck character was when they watched the show Martin. You watch Mm -hmm. Martin and you have this black guy who doesn't have it all together. He is cool in some ways, but in a lot of ways, he's not. He's just trying to make it like most other people. And I think that's kind of, for me, the difference between Insecure and this show, which is that Insecure, every black man you see on that show, while they do have issues, while they do have problems, they are always cool. They are always dressed nicely. They always are in shape. They are always fit. They're cool. And that's something I enjoyed about Insecure. I'm like, look at the, all these cool black men. It's great. Whereas on this show, from the opening take, all of these black men are flawed. You got one that's overly romantic. You got one that's overly type A. You got one that's still trying to figure out, define his relationship with his wife and how he fits in. You know what I mean? You have all of these different types of black men and they're all willing to interact with each other and love each other in a way that me having relationships with other black men is true, is real. And you really don't ever get that depiction. I think it's because people were afraid to show black men in a way that is flawed without feeling like you were mocking them. And this show does that excellently. That's one thing that I really enjoy is as soon as I see them start to make fun of each other and kind of interact with one another, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a Ronald show. I I love this. I do this with my friends all the time. And you have those moments of sentimentality and it, it feels mushy at times, which is good too, but it's not mocking those relationships, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And it's never mocking blackness. If it's mocking anything, it's their own flaws that they embrace and love in each other. Or it's mocking the snobbery, which we already made note of. Like there's a scene during the second season where they're just listing all of these fabrics like, oh, this wine has a hint of leather. (laughs) (laughs) Not tasting leather. I'm getting more velvet. Interesting, because I'm getting hints of denim. Mm. Khakis. Mm. I mean, I'm just, I don't really know. I don't know. Is wine supposed to taste like pants? (laughs) Even with the snobbery, they're very self-effacing and making fun of themselves. But they're never making fun of the blackness. They're never making fun of women. And I really appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. Let's talk about the women on this show, though. There's not as many as there are men. A show like this works best 
when you can take any two of the characters and pair them off, and then you create a special dynamic between them that is only them. So I think Sherm is the universal donor. He can pair with anybody. I think the Anthony and Faye dynamic, I really like that before it got schmoopy. I thought the show was doing something. It's, oh, let's put these two straight people, these, this man and this woman together, and have them just be friends. And I'm told that can happen. I try not to get bogged down in the vicissitudes of heterosexuality if I can avoid it, but I'm told that can happen. <laughs> and I also liked how Faye is played by Gracie Mercedes because she is the straight man of this comedy group. She's the adult in the room and that can be boring, but she brings this knowing intelligence and then just kind of do this whole thing, this will they, won't they thing. What do you guys think? Yeah, the will they, won't they. You know, I feel the same way as I do about Abbott Elementary and Janine. Yes. I don't need another will they, won't they. Yes. That's the one thing where I'm like, ah, Okay. I love that Faye and Nikki have kind of become best friends in a way, and they really kind of embrace it, and, and it works. But I also think that there's so much feminine energy coming from Noah that, like, <laughs> yes, there's only two women <laughs> in this show or who are the main characters, but I also think, you know, there's a balance in terms of, like, the energy that's happening, and it doesn't feel that it's not evenly balanced like it was on Happy Endings or something, like, you know, even insecure in a way kind of balanced itself out by the end of the show. But like, I don't mind that at all. I think it's it's a fun dynamic to see. And I also think it's fun to see that like, there aren't really any moments where the guys and the girls kind of pair off in a way that it's like, oh, of course you're going to pair off in this way. They all just kind yeah. of hang. Even when they're talking about how attractive a woman is, the female characters will also jump in and talk about it. So I, I think it works for me. I like seeing this dynamic um, because, yes, men and women can be friends and not mm -hmm. have everything be will they, won't they. <laughs> I do personally, though, feel like there's not enough Faye in season two, at least in the episodes we've seen right. so far. Well, she was completely missing. Where Where's mm -hmm. Faye? Oh, Faye is sending text messages. So we're seeing Faye in text messages. So I personally feel the absence of Nikki and, you know, Faye being able to hang out together. I wish that there was more of that in season two. I hope that comes back more. And the show does great when it's not trying to do will they or won't they. It does great no. already with all these other kinds of gender, race, friendship storylines. I don't need that storyline in there, too. Mm -hmm. I think my biggest problem with will they, won't they in both this show and Abbott Elementary is that it forces the show to create characters that only exist as obstacles for mm -hmm. wherever the show is trying to go, which mm -hmm. means you get these cool characters that I want to hear more about, namely Talia, who I actually like for Anthony, and I really like their relationship. And I have to watch her with this sense of dread, knowing that this relationship is probably going to fail because mm -hmm. the show really wants to put Anthony with Faye, which I don't necessarily think is a great pairing to begin with. And it's the same way I feel about <laughs> on Abbott Elementary with Janine and Craig, where here we have these two characters that y'all are intent on putting together. So you add these people in their wake who I actually like and want to get to know, but I, I know that it's doomed from the start. So it kind of just feels like there's this weird place of plot armor and inevitability with where they're going, which doesn't necessarily feel like will they, won't they. It just means when they, you know? Mm -hmm. I just feel like if this was going to be really realistic and not that it needs to be, but like it would be realistic if they both had a crush each on each other, hooked up and then like decided they didn't work out together and they yes, still remained yep. friends. Or yeah. like if she somehow had a crush on two people in the group, I don't know, that'd be more interesting to me because <laughs> I've seen that play out many times in real life. And I think that seems more realistic than that whole, are they faded? They're faded. We're going to make yeah. this, <laughs> but we're going to take yeah. forever to get to that fate. Yeah. And yeah. I just add that throughout the rest of the show, I think they do a really good job of not making it all about 
romantic relationships with the cast, which I really, really like. One thing in particular, mm, Wyatt, yeah. he's the married character, and he's madly in love with Kristen, his wife who he's been with for, it seems like, forever. I really like how they depict that relationship, where is she hanging out with the crew? No, not usually, but once in a right. while, when she does hang with them, she gets on with everybody there. But he has a friendship with other people that includes women that are not his wife. I like the reality of that. That's something that I know. That's in my circle of friends. Right. And it never turns into, oh, is he going to be tempted by another woman in this crew? Yeah. You mentioned Kristen. She's played by Maya Lynn Robinson. She's great. She is recurring, though. She doesn't appear in every episode. And they're trying not to have her be the Maris, right? Just the wife outside of the friend group. Yeah. I do think the show would benefit from more of her just interacting with different characters. But that is a real, this is the thing you all have mentioned. They are dealing with real interpersonal dynamics. That is the thing. You have a friend group, you have a spouse. And the friend group and the spouse may or may not get along, but it's always at an oblique angle. It's never in the same way. And that's something that's real. And, you know, I'd also like to see more of Nikki and Noah's dad, played by Charles Parnell. Yes. That has more to do with uh, his very stern demeanor and great cheekbones, but I still would like to see more of him. <laughs> well, we want to know what you think about Grand Crew. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Aisha Harris, Ronald Young Jr., Kristen Meinzer, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet... And you want to show your support and listen to this show without any sponsor breaks at all as you guzzle a slightly fizzy Lambrusco. Head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Mike Katzip and Candice Lim and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, come in, provides our theme music. Thank you all for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. On the TED Radio Hour... In the middle school cafeteria, Ty Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, Why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Ty is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness. And he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. What's happening with NPR Podcasts? Money. Power. Tacos. White collar crime. Green parties. Black reparations. More of the perspectives that make your world a more vibrant place. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts.